First Peter chapter three, where we will be this morning. First Peter three, we have been talking about uh, relationships and how we are to live uh, in response to authority being subjected. We've talked about uh, uh, how we are to have uh, upright personalities that uh, uh, that turn away from evil and do good. We've talked about the fact that. Uh, within this life that we are called to be holy, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart for God's kingdom, and that that uh, that we are um, that we are within within this life that we live, that we are called to a higher calling than just mere existence higher calling than just mere enjoying the benefits of God, but we are called to be holy as a response. Today we introduce something that's been an under theme of the book of First Peter that hasn't really come to the forefront, but now it does. And it's the idea of suffering. We've seen it before. Um, we've seen it in talking about how wives are submitting to their husbands uh, uh, so that even if they're not obeying the word, that by the conduct of their wives, the husbands might be won over. Um, we've talked about a little bit uh, with the masters and the servants, and even when it's a bad master and they're treating you unjustly to endure that unjust suffering because it's through that that they're displaying the gospel to their masters we talk about it a little bit when it when it comes to the emperor, when it comes to human institutions and governments and and the authorities, the civil authorities that that we find ourselves uh, connecting to in everyday life. We we honor God, we fear Him, but we love one another and we honor the emperor. There is there is a level of suffering that all of us face because we're alive. But sometimes there is suffering that goes beyond just the normal. Sometimes there's suffering that goes beyond the things we face just, just as human beings. We suffer with illnesses. We suffer by mourning the loss of loved ones. We suffer by having to put up with people that really we just wish we didn't have to. I, I see a couple of chuckles. I guess y'all had some experience. But sometimes we suffer not just because we're alive. Sometimes we suffer because we're trying to do this the right way. That's what Peter's going to talk about this morning. So let's stand as we read from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Pray with me. Father, help us this morning as we, as we uh, approach this topic of suffering, especially suffering for righteousness' sake. 
Lord, I pray that we would have humble hearts, that we would be open to your word and that it would change us to your image. Father, do your work in this time. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Be seated. We are, we are talking about this idea of suffering and it's been an undercurrent in what Peter has been talking about, but now it's coming to the forefront. Now the suffering is front and center. And what we find is that we are called not only to suffer, but to suffer the right way. We are called to live uh, as righteous sufferers. Now, you might not have thought of yourself in those kind of terms coming together. Usually you think of suffering and you think of the idea of enduring suffering, right? There's suffering that's going on, so you just have to persevere through it and make it through and continue the course until you get through, right? But uh, how you deal with suffering matters. And today I want us to focus on righteous suffering, but I want us to focus kind of in a way on three different questions. First of all, why? Why should we bother with suffering righteously? Why, why does it even matter? Then we'll get into the what. How do we do it? Like, like what specifically do we do? What steps do we take? What does it look like? And then we'll ask a question of how is it even possible? He starts, though, with a rhetorical question of his own. He doesn't ask this because he wants an answer. He wants us to think. Now, who is there, Peter asks, to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. Who is there to harm you? Who is going to actually do you harm if you want to do the right thing? Now, show of hands, how many of you think, you know, there is plenty of good news every night on the nightly newscast. I wish they would cover more bad stuff. Yeah. No, we kind of think the opposite, right? Like, we need more good news, right? We need something else because it's looking pretty bad out there. There's wars all over the place. There's all kinds of price hikes and inflation. There's all sorts of various problems going on in society. There's, there's uprest. There's upheaval. It, it just isn't a very good time right now. Man, we could use some more good news. Don't we love to hear the story of the athlete that goes back home where he came from and donates hundreds of thousands of dollars to local charity? Don't we love to hear the story about the individual who, who is, is working tirelessly? There are series, TV series, that have been dedicated to doing something nice for someone who has given their all to serve other people. You think about, uh, uh, there was a show a couple years ago, I don't, I don't know if they still do it or not, but where they would go in and they would completely rebuild someone's house. And it would be someone who was like working really hard in this nonprofit, uh, uh, scraping together everything they could personally, uh, living in a dump of a place that just you know, having cars that are constantly broken down and all kinds of problems, but they're giving every spare dollar they can. They're doing everything they can for a local kids club or for, for a local uh, uh, organization or they're, they're, they're pouring themselves into some work and, and, and they're living in, in shabby conditions so that everything they, everything they can do, they are doing for everyone else. But then they come in and they rebuild this person. They build this person a nice home and they give them great stuff and just make, just really do something great for them because they've dedicated themselves to other people. We love stories like that. Most of us want to be around good folks. 
how many, how many of you like grumps? Grumps don't even like grumps, okay? We want, we want to be around good people. That's why when you go somewhere with great customer service, you don't mind paying extra, you want to go back for more because they treat you well. We want to be around good people. We want to be around people that, that have a, a, a great attitude and that do good things for others. We want to be known as good people. By and large, if you're zealous for what is good, people like that. When, when the righteous rules, the people rejoice, Proverbs says. And there's a reason for that. Whenever they're good people and they're succeeding, we all like to care for them. We all, like, we all want that guy to do well. Um, but it's not always the case. Sometimes there are people that do good things, but they, they face some pretty intense backlash. I'm not talking about people don't like them. I'm talking about like people actively try to hurt them. There are some people, no matter what you try to do, they will only hate in return. There are times when you will suffer trying to do what's right. Now, the suffering may not be full-blown persecution, but for Peter's re readers, that, that was a real possibility. In the Roman Empire, there was, at this point, no specific plan to exterminate Christians. There was no active persecution by the Roman Empire as a whole. But local governors often, or local, uh, 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 I guess, our equivalent of mayors, and sometimes governors, knew that these Christians, well, there was, there was something different about them. And that difference wasn't really great for Roman society. I mean, after all, everybody needs to be worshiping the emperor. And these folks refuse to worship the emperor. They're kind of undermining one of the basic tenets of our society. And so sometimes in certain spots and in different places at different times it would heat up or cool down. But at certain times, persecution would become a local reality for Christians. And in Peter's day, some Christians are facing persecution. Some of Peter's readers are facing death threats for them being Christian. Some of them are facing jail for them being Christian. Some of them are facing a possible uh, uh, problems with them being Christian. It's not because they're terrible people. It's not, it's not because they've done anything wrong necessarily. It's just because they refuse to worship the emperor. They insist that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar is Lord. And therefore, we've got a problem because they're undermining the society. Now, are they really undermining the society? No, they're really trying to build it into a society that recognizes God's sovereignty. They're actually doing good, but they're seen as being the enemy. And so they are called to suffer unjustly, but they're called to suffer righteously. So why? Why go through it? Why not just say what they want you to say? I mean, after all, it's just, it's just a few words. It doesn't really mean anything if you don't mean it, right? In fact, there were lots of people who would just say, yeah, yeah, Caesar's Lord, whatever, and go about their day, and they really didn't care about Caesar. They really didn't worship Caesar. They just, they just went through the motions because, you know, it's just easier to do that. You know, I mean, when the government mandates it, it's just easier to go along with it and not, not rock the boat. Why be willing to suffer for righteousness? 
I find three reasons for righteous suffering in this passage that Peter gives. Two of them are kind of reasons, uh, uh, things that, that kind of, kind of results oriented. And one of them is just the general principle, okay? But they're all kind of, they all kind of explain why. First of all, first reason, God blesses righteous sufferers. God actually blesses those who suffer for righteousness sake. But not only for righteousness sake, but suffer righteously. Who actively employ righteousness in the midst of their suffering. God blesses those folks. 1 Peter 3.14 says, but even if you should suffer. So he asked the question, and it's not, you know, it may not be a common thing, but even if it happens, you will be blessed. The word used there is the same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. It's the same word for blessed. In fact, it's the same idea, isn't it? When you're suffering for righteousness' sake. But then he tells them how to respond in the next verse. He says, rejoice and be glad for, great, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in good company. So just rejoice because you get to suffer for my sake. God blesses righteous sufferers. Not only does God help you in the middle of the suffering, he adds to it. Think of the children of Israel. They're in Egypt. There's a Pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph. And now the Israelites are not just sojourning in Egypt. They are slaves in Egypt. But you know what happens? They continue to grow. They don't stop having babies. No, they have more. They have too many more. Pharaoh's like, I can't, we can't handle this. They're becoming too many people. We got to start killing the male babies. And that isn't it amazing? If you have to kill babies in order to justify your position, you've got the wrong position. I'll leave that at that. They are blessed in the midst of their suffering. So are we, by the way. Do you know how often... I, I haven't faced real overt persecution. The, the worst that I faced is uh, when I was in high school one day. Uh, someone came up to me and said, you believe in God? I said, yeah. He said, you suck. That's my, that's my persecution story. That's the closest I get, okay? I haven't really faced persecution. But I've watched others who have, and I've seen God do some amazing things. We've all heard stories, but like in India, uh, there's this village, and uh, uh, these, this, this, they're building this church building, and... Uh, uh, the, the local folks don't really like it and the local government officials don't really like it and so they're threatening to like bomb it or, or, or burn it down or whatever. They're, they're going to destroy it. One day this herd of elephants runs through and when a herd of elephants runs through, uh, you don't really do anything about it. You just clean up after. Okay? You, I mean, it's a herd of elephants. What are you going to do, right? I mean, they couldn't really handle it. It's this local tribes people sort of thing. And so, so the tribal elders, the folks in charge, <laughs> they want to destroy this church, but this herd of elephants runs through and they trample over all kinds of stuff. 
And they leave the church perfectly intact while everything around it is just trampled on and destroyed. And that's and that church is where all, all these folks gather in for safety from this herd of elephants that's running over everything else except God's house. Sometimes, sometimes God just shows off through suffering. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes you are thrown in the furnace. A couple weeks, we're going to be talking in Daniel 3. And these three guys are thrown into the fiery furnace. Except there's not three anymore. There's four. And they're not burned. The guards who threw them in are burned. They're toast. Sorry for the pun. These guys are fine. Walking around in the middle of the fire like nothing's wrong. They get out. They don't even smell like smoke. Sometimes God blesses righteous sufferers. That's a good segue into the next one. God also defends righteous sufferers. Sometimes he takes up your cause. Now, the way Peter states it isn't so much of a defense of them as what happens to those who revile them. Verse 16. So that, we'll talk about the first part in just a minute, but so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. That's not might. That that may be put is not, uh, let's, we'll cross our fingers that hopefully that'll happen. That's, it's just the, the way the, the original verb is stated, it, this one gets stated in a similar way. Just the nature of grammar. It, it's, you, could, you could translate it more like, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. You see, God takes up your defense when you're suffering righteously. God likes to do that. Whether it's widows or orphans, whether it's those who are suffering unjustly and yet are doing the works of righteousness in the midst of it, God likes to take helpless people and come to their rescue. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, God, God gets glory when a man can't save himself and God comes to the rescue. God gets glory when a young child can't take care of himself and God, through his agent, takes that child into their home and loves them and nurtures them and grows them up to maturity. God takes glory when someone is poor and destitute and they're being given food to eat and water to drink and a place to stay. God gets glory when those who are helpless are helped by Him. And because He gets glory in those times, because it's those times when He's glorified, He finds joy in defending those who cannot defend themselves. So when you're suffering righteously, when you're undergoing the suffering because you're trying to do what's right, and people are unjustly doing you wrong, you can rely on God to come to your defense. Now maybe, just maybe, he does that by proving them wrong. Maybe he does that by protecting you. Maybe he doesn't allow you protection, but years later, people look back on it and realize what really happened. His ways are different, but he always defends. I picture in heaven, 
um, in Revelation chapter 7, I believe it is, there's these, this throne room scene, and underneath the altar, there's the voice of all these saints of, of God throughout the ages crying out, when are you going to avenge us? And God gives them white robes and says, just a little while longer. Sometimes that's all he does is just say, patience, I've got this. Third thing that God does that, that gives us kind of the general principle, that gives us a reason for suffering, is that God wills it. God sometimes wants us to suffer. Now that's hard to hear because we like to think of God as loving and kind and gentle. We don't like to think of him as wanting us to suffer. But sometimes it's in God's will. Because sometimes it's through our suffering that we draw close to him. Sometimes it's through our suffering. Some of you have stories where you were flat on your back and you had nowhere to look but up. And that's when you realized who God was and how much he loved you. Others of you don't have exactly that story, but you have times where you've been down at the bottom and, and all you could do is cling to him and he's come through. Whatever the case may be, sometimes God wants you to suffer. Notice what he says in 1 Peter 3.17. He says, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. Sometimes it's God's will for you to suffer for doing good. Now, by the way, also note, it's better to suffer for the right reason than for the wrong reason. You don't, you don't want to suffer for doing evil. That's just... Yeah, that's just you get what's coming to you, okay? That's just punishment right there. But when you're doing good and you're suffering, well, in fact, didn't he say just in the last chapter, chapter 2, verse 20, for what credit is it is if you, when you're sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing. Remember, we talked about that, that it's God's grace for us to suffer for doing good. It's, it's not just his will that every now and then there's somebody that suffers just so I'll have a martyr, just so I'll have somebody that people can rally around, just so I can encourage everyone else to follow me more closely. No, sometimes God wants us to suffer because that's the means of his grace. You didn't think of suffering as a means of grace, did you? I didn't either until I suffered and it was his grace. Sometimes God just wants it. And that's good enough reason. All right, we know why. Let's turn to the practical. What do we do? The practice of righteous suffering. What do we do? What does it actually look like? Well, he says two things. He says, first, don't. And then he says, then, do. Okay? There's something you don't do. This is what it doesn't look like. Uh, verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. He says, don't be afraid or distressed. Now, what's interesting is, should you be afraid? Should you have some sort of fear? Yeah. I mean, he told us already, fear God, right? We already know we should be fearing God. It's the same word used here, that word for revering God. He says, don't revere them. In fact, he actually puts it this way. He says, don't be afraid of them with fear. Almost as if to say, almost as if to say, don't even be a little afraid. Don't even give them a place at the table when you make your decision. Don't worry about them. 
You see, is it right to reverence God? Yes. Is it right to reverence people that are trying to make you suffer unjustly? No. Don't even give them the time of day when you're making the decision of what to do. Now that's really hard because it's easy for us to say, but they are going to do this to me if I do that. But I am going to face this consequence. I am going to lose this. I am going to have to pay this. But Peter says, don't even pay attention to them. Don't give them any fear, any reverence. That's hard. And he says, don't be troubled either. The word used here is used of seas that are tumultuous. Waves crashing back and forth. It's all disturbed, distress. It's a word that indicates such mental and emotional turmoil. He says, don't be like that. And this is a guy that saw Jesus take those waves that are distressed, that are, that are storm-tossed, and with a couple of words, quiet them down to calm. That's really hard, too. I mean, coming from a person that uh, sometimes can't even get his brain to stop long enough to go to sleep. And I'm not talking about worried about all kinds of things. I'm just talking about, I, I have some, I'm just like thinking of stuff. It's just random stuff. Nothing bad. I can't even get my brain to stop for me to go to sleep. How in the world am I going to get the worry and the fear and the anxiety to stop when I'm in the middle of suffering? I, I, that's hard. If you think it's easy, then you're lying. You're just lying because it's not. Don't be afraid. Don't be distressed. If you're going to suffer rightly, you can't allow emotions and, and attitudes to detract you from doing what's right. Instead, he says, honor Christ. So don't be afraid. Don't be distressed. Honor Christ. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Watch this. We have to take this verse in an evangelistic sense, but Peter puts it in the midst of suffering. Always being prepared. Be ready. Now there is ready in the sense of your bags are all packed and you got it in the car so that when she says it's time to have the baby, You've got everything you need right there. But there's a whole other kind of ready when you talk about what's going on in here. You see, you can be ready by physical preparations but not be mentally ready. You can be ready by doing all the stuff you need to do ahead of time but not be mentally ready for it to happen. Or you do the opposite. You can be mentally ready for it to happen at any point but yet not have made any of the physical preparations. It doesn't matter if you're ready to be a dad. If that bag ain't packed, you're going to be running around like a chicken with your head cut off because she's not going to want to wait for you. <laughs> this thing's coming. You better get there. We need to be ready in both ways, don't we? We need to be packed and mentally prepared. When he says that, it has the tone of both. It's always being prepared. What's the motto of the Coast Guard? You may know. No Coasties in here. No. 
Semper partus, always prepared. Because you never know when or exactly what. You don't know when it's going to come. You don't know when the time is going to come. You don't know that at this point, at this time, with this person, you're going to have this opportunity. So you need to be ready. But it's not just about being ready to share with someone uh, the gospel. It's being ready to show someone why you can endure the suffering that you're doing. You're ready. Ready to what? To make a defense. The Greek word is where we get our word apology from. The idea is to defend against a false accusation. You have no clue what you're dealing with. You don't know. You, you have this false hope. You think you're going to get out of this. No, 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 no. I have no false hope. I have a living hope. You see, the hope that's within me is a real hope. In fact, doesn't Peter talk about us being born again to a living hope? Oh yeah, he does, doesn't he? And because we're born again to that living hope, that I can endure this suffering because I know, I know that I have a true basis of my hope. Yeah, it's evangelistic in the sense that you're ready to share with anyone the reason for the hope that is within you, but it's also uh, dealing with suffering because you're ready not only to endure the suffering, but to express why and how you can endure that suffering. It's one thing. It's one thing to be imprisoned. It's another thing. It's a totally different thing for you to be giving the guards a hard time. There was a story of a guy that went to prison. He was in prison for his faith and he started sharing Jesus with other prisoners. And pretty soon, a bunch of the other prisoners are saved and they have to move him to another jail. And he shares there. And, more, and they try to put him in solitary confinement, but the judges, that, but, the, but the, the officers that are down the hall making sure nobody comes around him, they start believing in Christ. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. He was always ready. I got the chance. Paul has this guy who came to him for eight hours a day. They work in shifts. He'd be under house arrest. There'd be a soldier chained to him. So as he's writing his letters, as he's dealing with correspondence, as he's, as he's entertaining people who are coming to give reports from the churches, and as he's helping direct the Christian activity, he's got this, sh this, sh this soldier chained to him constantly. Eight hours a day, the soldier ain't going anywhere. Paul is sharing Christ with him. Paul is, is, is walking him through who Jesus is. Opening up the scriptures. He's making the most of every opportunity. Always ready. But don't do it harshly. Don't do it talking down to people. Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. So at this point I have a problem. Oh, oh yeah, and um, first part of verse 16. Having a good conscience too. Don't just do it. Do it the right way. You could probably identify one out of 10,000 Christians that were saved because a street preacher was yelling at them that they were going to hell. Sometimes it's effective that way. But I also know that about 80% of people who come to church come to church because they're invited by someone they know. And I venture a guess 
that most of us are saved either because a parent or somebody else that was close to us built the relationship and shared Christ. I'm not saying don't street preach. I'm not criticizing those who do. But I'm telling you, it's a whole lot more effective when there's a relationship. Do it gently. That word respect is literally fear, reverence. Do it reverentially. Care for that other person. Have a good conscience. Don't let, don't, don't use any means possible. Use only the right means. But now I come to a problem. That's too hard for me. Is it too hard for you? Like, is that a high bar? To, to, to not be afraid or distressed in the middle of suffering, but to honor Christ? To be ready to give a defense? To do it gently and respectfully? with a good conscience, to do it the right way, the right motivation. I don't think I can do that. Let's just be honest. I don't think I can live that kind of way. I don't know that I can do that. I mean, I think that's too much. God, you're just going to have to dumb it down. You're just going to have to, you're just going to have to lower the bar. I can't reach it. God doesn't lower the bar. Instead, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Anyone who remains in me will bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Boy, do I know the truth of that part of that statement. Apart from him, I can do nothing. There's no possible way I can live like this. I can identify with Paul when he says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I need that kind of God who can live like that through me. Because I can't do it. I need that kind of God who's a vine kind of God so that I can be the branch and abide in Him. Because I can't do it. I need Him who is able to do abundantly above all that we ask, think, or imagine according to the power at work within us. I need the kind of God who can say to a man like Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness because I have a lot of weakness. I need a lot of strength because I don't have any. I need the kind of God that says, cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will not suffer the foot of the righteous to be moved. I need that kind of God who can be that stable base. I need that kind of God that I can live in and dwell in and who lives in me and through me to do the works that He's called me to do because I can't do it all myself. I need the kind of God who can help me to righteously endure suffering because the only way that we can is in Christ. For Christ also once suffered. Excuse me, suffered once. Listen to this. He suffered once for sins. Once for all. Not, not, not he suffered one time, and that covered sins for a little while. But then he had to suffer again to cover some more sins. And then we sinned a whole lot, so he had to come and suffer a few more times because, man, we really racked it up. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He he didn't just suffer at the hands of the unrighteous. He suffered for the benefit of the unrighteous. I've already quoted Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That doesn't just mean we were in trouble so God rescued us. That meant we were against God and he rescued us anyway. So if I'm going to suffer, 
If I'm going to suffer injustice, if I'm going to suffer because I'm trying to do what's right, if I'm going to even try to do what's right, the only way I can do that is in Christ. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. When Christ suffered on that cross, he wasn't just suffering because of you. He was suffering for you. So if I'm going to suffer rightly, I need his power at work within me. We're going to sing a verse of an invitation. I pray that you find in Christ what you need. If you haven't already, I'd love to help you do that. If you have... If you have and you need to pray for somebody, come to the altar. Come pray. Ask God to do his work in them. Whatever the case may be, you you do what he wants you to do while we sing. Let's take our song books and turn to page 598. 598. Let's all stand, please. Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all to Wherever he leads, I'll go.